Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Braddon. Go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And hey, believe it or not, we got some coach clips from several schools across the SEC. We actually have so many. I couldn't fit them all on this episode. So we'll have some more on the next episode to finish the week strong. But uh, hey, National Signing Day, we downplayed it on the last episode. Well, I'll tell you who had a classic National Signing Day, and that was the South Carolina Gamecocks. They were kind of the big story of the day, not only in the SEC, but arguably the country, because they landed the big battle that took place here on Wednesday during the uh, traditional National Signing Day. Five-star Nicholas Harbor, the athlete, Sounds like he's going to play receiver, could play a little tight end for the Gamecocks, but it was a whirlwind recruitment in the last 24 hours. Pretty pretty wild whirlwind here in this recruitment. Classic, as they all used to be, heading into National Signing Day. South Carolina was the early favorite, then a lot of Oregon momentum, and then going into his decision, it didn't seem like anybody knew exactly what was happening, but uh, live on ESPN here on Wednesday, South Carolina gets the big commitment of the day. After this announcement, Shane Beamer met with the media. So let's kick it over to him. Some unknowns on where exactly Harbor will play. He's a sack machine, could play outside linebacker, could play tight end. I've heard the Kyle Pitts comparisons with Harbor, who's a track star, runs a 10 200 meter dash. It's incredibly fast. I mean, they're saying he's six foot six, 230 something pounds, legitimate Olympic speed. I mean, this guy could be unguardable for the Gamecocks as soon as next season. So let's kick it over to Shane Bieber discussing the road to landing Nicholas Harbor and where he'll likely start his career in Columbia. He's a guy, shoot, when we first started recruiting him, uh, Sterling Lucas was heavily involved with him because we saw him as a defensive end pass rusher. And then as it went more and more down, Jody got involved with him because we saw him as a tight end. And, and I think my conversations with Nick as recently as – Yesterday afternoon, it was more that wide receiver world, you know, not that he wouldn't be doing some tight end type things, but, um, you know, he's a, an elite athlete and he doesn't need to be uh, with it. He doesn't need to have his hand in the ground blocking defensive ends 50 percent of the time. I mean, we need him out in space running routes and catching the football. So there'll certainly be some tight end elements that will uh, our tight end aspects that he'll, you know, take advantage of and utilize. But we see him more in space, on the perimeter, uh, more in a receiver type role. Shane, can you just kind of take me through the emotions <laughs> of what today was like and when you see Nick put the hat on and announce and sign and do all that, what were the emotions like after what was probably a whirlwind hours? Yeah, that, the last 24 hours, really the last 12 have taken hours off, years off my life, I, I think, to be honest with you, Colin. Um, um, 
you know, first of all, there's a lot that we, I shouldn't say overcome, but there was a lot going on here with his situation and the schools that were recruiting him and, and the, the opportunities that those other programs uh, presented on and off the field, the track, whatever it may be. Uh, so there was a lot to, that we, we were in a battle. And next door, up in the team meeting room, we have our core values up there and compete is one of them. And we competed our butts off with this one and uh, like every like everyone that we recruit emotion wise I've I felt good about Nick all along I really did uh had an amazing home visit with him last week up in DC that we didn't walk out of there till after 11 o'clock at night uh when we visited with he and his family last week felt really really good I mean he hadn't told me he was coming but I felt great about where we stood all weekend I talked to him multiple times on FaceTime uh, Monday and yesterday. Went to bed last night feeling good. I got a message from him, an um, audio message or whatnot, at 2.57 a.m. today um, that wasn't good. And obviously didn't sleep after that uh, as well, laying in bed, trying to figure out what's going on and whatnot. And then this morning has been just a uh, range of emotions back and forth, trying to answer some questions. And, and I think for Nick, it was real. I don't want to speak for him, but I think he all along felt most comfortable here and wanted to be here. It was just, um, you know, a lot of people that in his network that, that they were, he was trying to get, everybody was trying to get on the same page and there was a lot coming at him too, as a, as a young man as well. So the emotions for me were certainly a whirlwind today, back and forth, good and bad. Uh, but, uh, see him put that hat on was a, I'll be honest with you, a pretty emotional moment for me. Justin King asked me if I needed some privacy before he wanted to film me. And I told him for one time, I told him no, but in true Justin fashion, he was lurking outside my office and then came in there as soon as he announced uh, as well. But I think it's just the emotion, not just of that column, but of all the, I mean, I met Nick Harbor when I was coaching at Oklahoma and I went into his high school when he was a freshman in high school. And I've known him since then, know the family and just knowing what he's about and all the effort that you put into, you know, recruiting somebody. It's a it's it can be a, a brutal business from a recruiting standpoint. Great when you get guys gut wrenching when you don't get somebody that you've put a lot of effort into. But uh, there was a lot of emotions. But I also knew that no matter what Nick had chosen today. I knew that we had done absolutely everything, you know, from our standpoint, from a work ethic standpoint to get him. Well, they say these coaches, they hate to get these calls in the middle of the night. Usually it's because uh, some shenanigans went down. But for Shea Bieber, it was because what almost got away from him. And I read an interesting article. It sounds like Shane Bieber, when he got the South Carolina job, one of the very first offers he sent out was to Nicholas Harper. So this is – this is exactly what we mean when we say, you know, these recruitments are years and years and years in the making and why it's so difficult for a new hire to come in here and steal so many commitments or signees, what have you. So credit to Shane Beamer eyeing several years down the road who's going to be an impact player. Met Nicholas Harbor as a freshman in high school. Now he gets his guy, big piece of the puzzle. Again, I expect him to play immediately for the Gamecocks and Dow Loggins offense. Cannot wait to see how that plays out. He is the highest rated prospect to ever sign 
with South Carolina under Shane Beamer. I know this has only been three cycles and and one he came in. You know, it's basically like you hire the guy and the next week he's got to sign some prospects. But still, an achievement nonetheless, and particularly a five-star national television. This is huge for the South Carolina Gamecocks. Here's Shane Beamer one more time on just the impact of being a big winner on a day like this on a national stage, what it does for the Gamecocks. Could you elaborate a little bit on just what landing a five-star does to the perception of your signing class and to what you are building here? Because, I mean, over the last few days, um, I just had a lot of people, I heard a lot of people talking about Nicholas yeah. Harbor. So, uh, yeah. you know, the fan base is like. Yeah. No, it's uh, extremely impactful, uh, particularly, you know, when it's a, a national guy that announces on national television today, like like Nick did. It's it's uh, it resonates not just here in South Carolina, but across the country. People are talking about this. And like I said a minute ago about the number of 2024 recruits that are reaching out to me right now. Uh, seeing just on looking at Twitter, the, the amount of people nationally, you know, people that aren't even don't even talk about that cover recruiting, just sports writers and the national media talking about South Carolina football right now. Um, it's it's great positive or great publicity, so much positivity and energy about out there about South Carolina football right now. And then you're right. I mean, I've got a ton of text messages from recruits, but then just a ton of text messages from family, friends, you know, whoever. Uh, as well about it, uh, so it's it's. I don't think you can put it into put it into words. To it just tap it caps off what was already a, an elite signing class in my mind with the group of young men that we've already brought into the program that signed in December. And I found it kind of hilarious. A lot of people kind of confused. How is South Carolina doing all this? How are they doing so well? I mean, I'm not naive to the fact that there's NIL out there, but when you beat out Oregon who, as I understand it, has the best NIL in the country. Their NIL is not volunteer-based. It's run by Nike. It's run by, or at least, former executives of Nike, and it's it's obviously tied in strongly with uh, Phil Knight, the, of course, the, the founder, owner of Nike, Oregon grad. So when you lose a guy like this, I mean, I don't even know if South Carolina's NIL can outbid for a player of this caliber when you're going head-to-head against Oregon. So I'm sure there's NIL factored in in some factor, but I don't think it's an outbidding situation. I, this is SEC football. This is South Carolina, one of the best fan bases in the country. This coaching staff, I know people think he's hokey. I, I, never, I don't understand the Butch Jones 2.0 comparisons, but, hell, all they do is get better and better and better and – the results on the field, you're trying to figure out how the hell are they doing this. I'm particularly thinking of the first year with four different quarterbacks, including one that was literally pulled off the coaching <laughs> GA. Uh, you know, they pulled a GA out of the coaching room and, and put them on the damn field. I mean, that that was insane. I never heard of such a thing. But it's, it's creative, and, and they're getting results down there in Columbia. Now they're getting better and better talent to be competitive. They got some of the best facilities, if not the best, in the country. And there's a hell of a lot to like about South Carolina right now. And this is only going to help the offseason hype. Cousin Shane and I, but particularly Cousin Shane, hyped up them Gamecocks last offseason. That's 
I'm just letting you know now. That's just, just the beginning of the hype for this program. Next, hey, speaking of hype, loving what Lane Kiffin's doing down there in Oxford. I especially love this incredible transfer portal hype video. I mean, this is the coolest hype video I've ever seen. Now, I'm a, I'm a nerd for the, the Marvel movies, as so many people are, so I'm going to play this. It's going to get demonetized on YouTube, so we're not even going to make money off this video because we're throwing in this Ole Miss hype video, but it's too good not to share. I hope you're watching on YouTube. Let's kick it over to this Ole Miss transfer portal hype video. I just had to share that. I love it. Features both the uh, transfer quarterback, Spencer Sanders, and Walker Howard, of course, the new additions to the Ole Miss quarterback room this offseason in the last couple of weeks. Lane Kiffin hit on that. What in the hell are you thinking? And it certainly sounds like Spencer Sanders was told, hey, you're going to be able to come in here and compete. And just kind of the, you know, Walker Howard could be the ultimate get for Ole Miss in this transfer portal window. That's not to suggest that he'll come in day, you know, year one and, and start or anything because certainly based on what Kiffin had to say, it, it certainly seems like Walker Howard is, I don't want to say an afterthought, but it's more about developing him for the future. Let's kick it over to Lane Kiffin, who discusses all these damn quarterbacks he's adding to the roster. A couple of transfer quarterbacks, including uh, Spencer Sanders, a guy who's really experienced. Can you kind of take us through the decision to bring in those two guys? And uh, is this an open quarterback battle again? Yeah, I'm very excited about the quarterback room. Um, I was very concerned about it um, from just pure numbers. You guys could figure that out. Um, and my job is to put together the best roster every year. And, um, you know, <clears throat> we, were, we had a chance to bring these two guys in. I think Jackson did a lot of great things last year. I think Jackson, I know Jackson, if you think about when he initially played versus the middle and end, dramatically improved um, for a young quarterback. We're very excited about um, him continuing that. And we were able to add two guys, one more of a veteran, kind of if you look at the NFL model, you know, a veteran free agent quarterback and then a, a really young one, um, more of a draft pick. So uh, the quarterback room is dramatically in a much better position than it was a year ago. And that's really our goal with our whole roster and every position every year is 
continue to improve it like we talked about what goes out versus what comes in um, in trying to win that battle. So uh, that, that'll be very exciting to see those guys um, develop and to also you know, work with the young one too. And then they almost went this entire press conference, didn't even get asked about Pete Golding till the very end. So uh, Lane Kiffin, again, I'm, I'm surprised he didn't kind of reference just, maybe it's just obvious, but his offense going up against Pete Golding's defense the last three seasons, you know, those have been some epic battles. Kiffin certainly got the better of Golding the first time. And then the last two Pete Golding's defenses have gotten the better of Lane Kiffin offenses. So it's going to be fun to see these two work together. Lane Kiffin says, uh, hell, this is uh, as good as landing a five-star for our program. I don't think we've gotten the chance to talk to you about Coach Golding yet. Um, how did that decision kind of take shape, and, and why is he a good fit? Uh, <clears throat> that was really awesome. There's no, I mean, we're talking about signing day, you know, um, and you guys talk about stars, that's as five star as you can get. Um, and this has nothing to do with that you're beating Alabama and all of that. This is a great coach that um, everyone that's worked with him has always said from the beginning, even when he was at smaller places before that, that he was a brilliant upcoming. And um, Coach Saban even talked about it as one of the best interviews he's ever seen um, in the first interview when he interviewed him. So. Um, just a very unusual situation that someone at the top of their game, um, you know, you get to come here. So um, there were, <clears throat> you know, some family things that helped us there with, um, you know, uh, his wife's family from here. And so uh, that, that, was, that was great, kind of like in recruiting, there's advantages. So um, we're really excited for them to come, he and his family to be here and, um, you know, to really help us, um, not just on defense schematically, obviously, like he will, but he's been a phenomenal recruiter too, and one that we've had to go against. Next, let's uh, kick it all down to Fayetteville. Sam Pittman met with the media here on Wednesday as well to uh, recap. You know, they didn't have a lot of additions or anything. They did get four-star tight end Shamar Easter. He was already committed but he had not signed during the early period. I think he wanted to see, you know, how this all plays out with the new offense. Of course, they, they still had Kendall Browse back then too, but Dow Loggins, now South Carolina's offensive coordinator, was the tight ends coach, so maybe wanted to see what they were going to do with the offense before officially signing. But he's in the boat, top prospect from the state of Arkansas, number 10 tight end prospect in the country, and according to Sam Pittman, they landed every single in-state player they went after this cycle. Coach, it wasn't big numbers in Arkansas, but you managed to keep home the kids you offered with Easter finalizing right. that. How big was it to keep everybody in the state that you offered a scholarship to? Well, our number one goal each year is to keep everyone that we've offered in, in, in the state. And uh, we've done that. Uh, pretty well. Uh, we've I think we lost one maybe a year ago or two years ago. But um, uh, we want to. We our, our high school coaches in the state are tremendous to us. Uh, we want to. We want to be good to them as well. But uh, guys, I just feel like the fourth quarter comes, and I think it means uh, a lot to everybody. A little, maybe a little bit more to a guy that's been born and raised as a hog fan, and uh, we certainly. Uh, have a lot in next year's class that we're looking at. It seems to be a pretty good class in the state. Uh, but 
uh, means everything to us, and there's a lot of people that help us. That's parents, that's uh, public, uh, that's coaches. One other uh, quick clip here from Pittman. I love this, but uh, you know, he was asked about getting a lot of lower-level football players into his program. Any concern that uh, you know they will per- perhaps struggle to be able to compete at the SEC level? And hell, this is, Arkansas is no stranger to getting these guys and bringing them up to this level. So, uh, but as Sam Pittman puts it best, not all D two athletes are built the same kind of an interesting group of guys coming from the FCS, D2, and yeah. the MAC. Uh, is there any concern at all with them making the jump to the SEC? Well, there wasn't with us or all those other SEC offers they had. Um, but um, – and I didn't mean that. I mean, there was a lot of people didn't – you know, yes, sure there's a concern. You know, I played at Pittsburgh State, you know. If I went in the portal, I'd have stayed in the portal, you know. But <laughs> – but there's different guys that play D2 ball, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, we brought in, you know, the nose guard from uh, Ridge, Big Ridge, and he seemed to work out okay. Uh, there's always a concern of why did they go there in the first place, and each one of them have their stories of why they went there. But talent-wise, um, uh, no, not talent-wise. And and work out. I'm excited for y'all to be able to come watch them in the spring uh, because they're they're very talented and and they're hungry. You know that's the one good thing about you know recruiting guys that are a little bit uh, D2 FCS. You know they haven't been you know given academic money and you know they they're trying to scrape by and are you paying for my books this year, coach and stuff like that. Where here it's you know they're appreciative. I guess what I should say. If Sam Pittman would have went in the portal, no one would have taken him as a player, but uh, that's all right because he's one hell of a coach. And now he's surrounded by more excellent coaches here. Dan Enos, of course, the offensive coordinator. This is the first time that uh, Pittman has addressed hiring Dan Enos, bringing in Marcus Woodson, who he calls the best defensive backs coach, and he's now the co-defensive coordinator for Arkansas. Arkansas's past defense has been a train wreck. At Florida State, Marcus Woodson's secondary was arguably the best in the country. Now he's leading the charge for Arkansas's back end of the defense here. Let's get over to Sam Pittman on doing what he can to upgrade his coaching staff this offseason. I know you've had to have an offensive coordinator idea in your mind for a while with Kendall. So when did you start? When did you make contact with Dan? And how do you think he's going to meld into what you're doing offensively? like currently, how, how is his philosophy meld into this? Well, uh, I guess the first part of your question is as soon as I found out that there was interest for Coach to, to leave, um, and, uh, maybe, I don't know, ten minutes after that maybe, or five or three. And then, uh, um, you know, I, I've had respect for Dan Enos for a long, long time, you know. I talked to Jamie last night. It's just different, you know. When I was here the first time, he was my boss, you know, and now I'm working with him in a different role. And uh, I think you hire good people that are confident in themselves, uh, but yet confident in guys they're working with too. I was very comfortable working with him, and I hope uh, he feels the same about me. Uh, Offensively, I think he, he can answer a question better than me, but... Uh, Dan has always, you know, here 
whether it be at Alabama, where it be at Maryland, uh, they've always ran a, an offense around their personnel and their talents, and all that starts at, in my opinion, the quarterback position. Uh, Dan obviously knew coming here what we have at quarterback, and and uh, uh, we're going to use uh, KJ's abilities to the fullest, and along with you know Rocket and you know all the other all the other guys. But uh, um, I'm an offensive line coach for a reason. I you know I like to run the ball and Dan fit in that philosophy as well. But the, the bottom line is we got to just score more points than they do. And uh, I, I really like since since Dan's uh, left Arkansas, he's been in uh, multiple uh, formations, multiple sets, multiple offensive philosophies uh, that I think he can adjust and will uh, around any of the personnel that we have. You've gone pretty young on the defensive side with your coaches. Yeah. What do you think about the mesh between all the new guys? Have you seen Marcus Woodson or no? <laughs> Have you seen him? I mean, he, he go ahead. Now, uh, I, I'm messing with you, Marcus. Um, um, you know, uh, when I interviewed Travis Williams, and I think I said this before, so I won't belabor the point, I knew he was the guy. I knew he was. I knew – uh, you know, what's what's some of the major concerns you have in football right now? One of them is the portal. Uh, so, you know, you're going to have kids going into the portal and you're going to – you're either going to beg an average player to stay or you're going to say, okay, we're going to go out and have a capabilities upgrading our team and replacing them. Uh, that's one of the reasons uh, uh, that that – Travis, obviously, very aggressive defensive guy. But, you know, right now, the portal makes you you better. And I've always been this way, but even more so now, you better hire recruiters. And recruiters are usually good people. And uh, so I did that with him. And then Marcus Woodson, is uh, I thought he was the best defensive back coach in America. And I think what they did at Florida State proved that. Uh, but he's a better man. And uh, – um, they're recruiting machines now. I mean, they're, they're, I was trying to watch a basketball game, talk four, five, six guys last night. Uh, a lot of high hopes on the hill for this coaching staff. And I, I love the fact that, uh, you know, because i, I got to be honest, I, and I'm not calling out Arkansas fans because this is across the league. When a guy leaves like Barry Odom did, oh, he sucked. He's terrible. We regress. Just look at our numbers. That doesn't paint the whole story. Barry Odom was the best defensive coordinator by the numbers heading into this last season. And what it really tells you is Arkansas, their roster was just not elite, on the, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. You lose a couple key pieces and the whole thing crumbles. That's where they're at. So what do you do to fix that? You're not going to hire another Barry Odom because – you know, it's extremely difficult to get a, a defensive coordinator of that caliber in here. Travis Williams has got promise. Again, I remember I said this, this guy's going to be one of the top recruiters in the SEC. Well, that's how you fix it. And that's exactly what Sam Pittman says. That's what he was looking for in his defensive coordinator, a people person, an elite recruiter, to where if we suffer an injury or two, it does not collapse the unit. So, I mean, I think that's critical. And if they can upgrade the talent, if Travis Williams is not too big of a downgrade, which I'm not saying he is, because if you look at some of the advanced analytics, 
Central Florida had a top 30 defense adjusting for roster talent, which is that's the metric we use here. And Barry Odom, as good as I say he is, his number there was in the 80s. So, I mean, potentially it is a it could be an upgrade. I know I'm kind of talking out both sides of my mouth here, but if you're an Arkansas fan, you got to be excited about these hires, particularly if we can upgrade the talent on the roster, which is just paramount. We say it many, many times on this show. I'll continue to say it. The players matter more than the coaches. That's not to say the coaches don't matter, but there's a reason Georgia just went back-to-back. Alabama's always in it. LSU. I mean, these, these rosters are stacked. And Arkansas's got to get better in that regard if they're going to win an SEC West title under Sam Pittman. Now, last one we're going to hit on on this episode just because it's such a hot topic. But I saved it for the end because old Billy Napier down here in Gainesville it just does not like to reveal much. <laughs> but right out the gate, as expected, Jaden Rashada was the topic everyone wanted to talk about. What went wrong, and how do we fix these situations? Again, I apologize. Billy Napier doesn't give us much, but this is what he gave us. <laughs> Jaden and the connection. From your perspective, what happened? Well, it's in, you know it's not permissible for me to get specific. Um, you know, I think the big thing here is as the dust settles. You know, our focus is preparing our team. Uh, the group of players that have joined our team. I wish we could get into the specifics, but we're not allowed to. You know, I think reality is the current structure of NIL, um, with third parties being involved, uh, with agents being involved, um, with marketing representatives, with lawyers, with collectives, um, very fluid, right? And I think a very unique dynamic. I think we're living in a time in college athletics uh, that we'll look back upon. So, um, but I think ultimately NIL is a strength for the Gators. Uh, I'm very pleased with where we're at relative to our current players, all athletes, uh, and what we've been able to get accomplished in a short amount of time. Can you elaborate on what you just said on, on NIL as a strength? Because it would be easy for the public perception to, to look at the headlines and what happened and say, I mean, just to be blunt, Florida's got an issue not living up to their deals. So uh, elaborate on what you just said, please. Well, I mean, I, I think I can only speak about um, our current team, right? Our focus being on our current team, uh, the current athletes that we have. Not only football, but a lot of our other sports have benefited. So, you know, we've got a ton of strengths in that area. You know, we've got, we live in a state with 21 million people. Uh, we've got half a million living alumni. We're surrounded by huge markets uh, and I think our players are benefiting from that so that's a lot to say you know it ain't on me basically and can't address it yada 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 but then he kind of addressed it so <laughs> I don't know I don't know I think he's just trying not to get in trouble but uh, you know he was asked an interesting follow-up how is this NIL supposed to work given situations like this and Billy Napier Again, maybe he just doesn't want to say too much, but he doesn't have an answer. And that's not to, I'm not trying to call him out, not putting him on the spot, because I think the reality is many of these coaches do not have the answer. And that's why 
Many of them are upset. Many of them are calling for change because, as Billy Napier puts it, we're playing a game we never played before. How frustrated are you, though, with like the fact NILs become pay-for-play? I mean, in Destin, you said we don't operate that way, and yet you've been kind of pulled into this national headline. There's this perception of the program now. Positive surrounding NIL. Well, I think you, you know, you spend, you know, your entire entire life and entire career trying to establish who you are and how you operate. And I think ultimately, I can lay my head down at night based off of that. So, time will tell, you know. And, and ultimately, I think uh, the good thing here is I've got a lot of confidence about our leadership, the strategy. Um, that we're employing, how it's benefited our team, the group of players that we have on our team. Um, and I think we're, we're going about it the right way. Are you frustrated, though, by, by this last six weeks? Well, I think every college football coach in America would tell you they're frustrated. You know, I mean, we're, we're living in a fluid dynamic, right? Um, you know, we essentially, there's a lot of good things about NIL, but I think the combination of the NIL and the portal creates a dynamic you got all the uh bad things about the nfl but none of the good things so um you know we're all aware of the issues of the parameters we're competing in at this point right so this will all um i think as time goes the market will settle down supposed to work though when there's this third party communicating on your behalf in some ways or not really, but in, in essence, you know, they're off doing their thing. You don't have communication control over it. Yeah. How's, it How's it supposed to work? It's a great question. Do you have an answer or a theory? <laughs> well, I, I think that, um, yeah, no, I think it's very fluid. That's what I would say. You know, I think that, you know, it's like coming up with a different management system, right? Different checks and balances. I mean, we're talking about a completely different dynamic. We're playing a game that's never been played before. All right, again, so that's about all we got from Billy on the NIL. But uh, And that's all I got on this episode, a little bit of a shorter one. But like I said, we'll have more coach comments. There was just too many to even get to on this episode. We'll be back one more time to round out the week, finish strong, And uh, I've got some interesting guests lined up for next weekend. Should be one heck of a couple shows here lined up. So be on the lookout for that. I really do appreciate each and every one of you for continuing to check us out during the offseason. And if you wouldn't mind, gone this far already, give us that five-star written review on the Apple Podcast app. Give us a five-star on Spotify. Subscribe on YouTube. You do any of those. We'll give you a beer koozie. Just reach out to us at thatsecpodcast at gmail.com. But that's going to do it for this episode of the show. We'll catch you on the next one.
Hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and Cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the Pirate, and the Pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State.